For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Inside Out with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. Today's topic, the agony of addiction, the view from both sides. With the recent death of Philip Seymour Hoffman, our attention has been brought back to heroin, one of the world's most addictive drugs. His death is a dramatic tale, but not unique. Whether it be to food, drugs, alcohol, sex, or anything else, many of us live with addiction, our own or that of a loved one, and we face its devastation. Today we'll hear from a mother and daughter who represent the two faces of addiction, the addict and the family. On one side is Rebecca, a gifted young woman whose life has been ravaged by heroin, but who is determined to take it back. On the other side is Helen, a mom who has had to watch her daughter fall into its grip, and who's had to discern the line between abandoning her child and enabling her addiction. What have they gone through? How have they grown? How have they come together to fight the addiction rather than each other? Here's a story that relates to so many of us. I know it does to me. And so now here's your host, Beth Green from the Inside Out. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Inside Out. Well, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of feelings coming up today, both for our guests and for you guys. And I hope that you feel free to call in. Uh, But before that, let me talk a little bit about some comments we got on our show last time. Uh, One was from Irene in San Diego. And she, last time we talked about following your dream and what can happen, what the real risks are. You know, instead of going into la-la land, oh, everything is going to work out fine. But then also what the risks are if you don't. Um, And so her comment was, I thought the show was great. My dream was to be part of a conscious community, and it was wonderful not only to see that that's been my dream through all of my changes, but it's a dream that will always be fulfilling itself. And, you know, in reading that comment to you, it kind of uh, brings to mind something that I should mention, which is that Inside Out has become like um, a mini workshop, and we do processes and stuff to heal us and do energy, tend out energy to help transform us. And so she was referring to uh, an exercise we did in the program where we uh, took a look at our dream. And uh, uh, another caller uh, sent us a message saying, what a great show from the very beginning. You turned us upside down and inside out about our beliefs about risking and goals. Thanks so much. It was a big help to me in seeing my life differently. Well, we love those kind of comments. We really appreciate them. And so even when you can't send us an email uh, during the show, you can always write to us later and send your comments about what we've done. So um, don't forget, you can go back now and listen to the podcast of our show about following our dreams. And it did really go into some depth about our goals, where they come from, what the dream is that's under the dream, and how we can fulfill them, how we can always fulfill the dream if we get to the core of what that dream really is, even if we can't accomplish it on the external level. So today we have... A, a discussion about the agony of addiction. Now, I'd like to share a little bit. I had, was married to uh, a, a drug addict, alcoholic, and um, because of him, I actually started looking at myself and my own addictions because I went to a program on the family, uh, for the family of alcoholics. And it was tremendous because I had a spiritual awakening because of that. That was in 1978. And uh, when I went to this program, I thought that I was going to find out how to stop him from drinking. And um, that was really a laugh and a half because what I found out when I got to that program is that it was all about me and I had to take a look at myself. But I don't want to say 
that uh, it's not an issue because it was. And, I mean, his addiction was also an issue. And after two years, he got sober from drugs and alcohol, and we were able to get married and go forward. Well, actually, the reality was that he stayed sober for a year. We got married, and then he went out and got drunk uh, two weeks after we got married. And then he disappeared for another six weeks. And I want to tell you that no matter how detached I was, as a bride, that was kind of a painful experience. (laughs) And (laughs) to have him come home and break into our house uh, looking for money, uh, you know, in the middle of the night and then sneaking off again was really very, very painful. So I'm going to be very honest. Um, and uh, I'm going to tell you that, yes, it was all about me getting clear about myself, but it really was tough uh, to live with that kind of thing, as I'm sure you can all appreciate. that he did eventually come back. He went to his third program, and uh, he got sober, and he stayed sober. We were married. We were together, I should say, for 14 years. And during that time, he was sober for a full 11 years. And then in the 12th year, he just hit something that he couldn't face about himself. And he went back to uh, smoking pot and drinking. And within a few weeks, it was like he was a, a homeless guy. It was so upsetting. Uh, here's a guy who was immaculate, who really, even when I met him when he was really pretty low bottom drunk, he really te- kept himself well. He had some pride. But when he went back to drugs and alcohol after that period of time, it was just like they said in the program, like he had never stopped. And it was so amazing to watch this guy go downhill so very, very fast. Um, And he was denying, of course, that he was drinking or using drugs. But, you know, it was so obvious, right? And uh, eventually he gave up and he left. So... um, And he stayed drinking and ended up in a homeless shelter. And I don't know if he's dead or alive. And I can still feel the sadness about that because there's the agony of addiction. You know, here's a guy that I loved, a guy who loved me, but who didn't love himself enough to um, take care of himself. When he hit that pain in himself that he needed to go back to program, get involved, get some therapy. Uh, he didn't love himself enough to do that. He, he started using again, and um, he became a rail and uh, a shadow of, her, of uh, his former self. So I don't know what to say, except there's the agony of addiction. And, you know, to this day, from time to time, I will think of him, you know, with love and sadness. So, um, today we have a team coming on the show, which is a mom and her daughter. Um, and it looks like the, the mom, uh, has, we haven't been able to successfully connect to her yet, but we do have the daughter here, and uh, we can certainly get started with her. And, and by the way, uh, the mom is on, according oh, to the engineer. Yes. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. Well, I'm so glad because there's the both sides of the addiction. It's also the agony of being the addict. I have so much compassion for anyone who's addicted to anything. I was addicted to alcohol myself, just that uh, not to the degree that my former husband was. But I also went to a program because I found myself that did this. Every time I drank, I threw up. <laughs> and every time I drank, I got a hangover. Usually the same night. And all I needed was two drinks and I was under the table and falling over. And I would tell myself that I wouldn't drink at all, but I couldn't stop myself. So I've been on the other side of addiction. And I haven't had a drink for 33 years or 34 years, I think now. Um, Thank God. Uh, And that was another journey, a wonderful spiritual journey. But I found myself doing such self-destructive things. That's the other side 
of the agony of addiction. I see wonderful people uh, eating themselves into oblivion, taking drugs, gambling away their lives, um, you know, going out, being um, compelled to act out sexually. Uh, there are so many addictions that we suffer from, and we all suffer, the addict and the loved the loved one, the family. So with no further ado, I would like to invite our very brave guests, uh, Rebecca and Helen, her mom, uh, to talk with us today about the agony addiction on Inside Out. So, Rebecca, are you with us? Yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so appreciative of your willingness to come on the show and share with us because everybody needs to understand this. The addict needs to hear you and what you've gone through and how you're coming through, but also all those people out there who have children, loved ones who are addicts also, I'm sure would so appreciate the, the um, honest sharing that you're going to have with us today. Well, we'll start with you, Rebecca, because um, we're going to be going to, to a, uh, a commercial break in a couple of minutes anyway, and we will not give up until we figure out where Helen is. <laughs> so, <laughs> so why don't we start with you, because this is really, to a great extent, your story. So um, let's see, what, was, what, would I, what would we all like to ask you? Why do you think you became an addict? Um. Well, there were things that I wanted to numb. There were things that um, I didn't want to have to look at um, about myself and about my environment. And um, I don't know. I didn't want to face face life. I guess that is so interesting. I didn't want to face life. I can really identify with that. Can't you, James? Yes, absolutely. That's, I've, been a, I've been an escapist uh, all my life. <laughs> so I think we all have that. Uh, you know, many of us use different forms of escape. Uh, in fact, last, was it last week? Oh, no, I just wrote an article about sanctuary or escape, about how our desire to escape just takes us over. So um, why, uh, just speaking for yourself, but knowing that we are all that, that we have that in common, um, was there anything in particular that you didn't want to face? Um, well, it, I mean, it kind of changed over the, I mean, initially I was, um, you know, 15, 16 um, when I started using anything. And I can't even remember really what was going on at that time, except for I obviously wanted to escape out of something. And as yeah. it progressed, um, I, so yeah, initially, um, I wanted to numb something, I wanted to fit in, you know, but as my disease progressed and as I got older, um, you know, I wanted to try new things and more than that, I wanted to um, numb this feeling inside of me that, um, you know, I'd had my whole life not fitting in, I just, I didn't, life was too much, you know, I didn't know how to do things and then once I found heroin, um, you know, that was it. That was the thing that I had been wanting. And, yeah. you know, I wanted for a while. And then, you know, I couldn't stop. And then it kind of took a hold of me. You know, that's really interesting. And in a second, we're going to go to a commercial break. Uh, and I'm going to come back and ask you about that moment when you shifted over from other drugs to heroin. How you felt? I mean, did you feel like, oh, my God, this is, woo, this is scary? Or did you just go numb and not even notice that? But what I'd really like to emphasize is something you said a minute ago, that what you were escaping, you said, was some feeling you had inside. And I think that's so crucial for all of us, whether we're using food, alcohol, or anything else, yet rage, you know, there's some feeling that we're having inside ourselves that we just can't tolerate. So thank you so much for sharing now. And you hang in there. We are going to be coming back in a moment to Inside Out, but first a commercial break. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Channel. 
bring Beth into your world in person or via the Internet. Learn how by visiting her website, BethGreen.org. At the website, sign up for her newsletter to keep abreast of her latest activities, blogs, videos, and more. Just for signing up, you'll receive a free PDF copy of Living with Reality, her 688-page volume that helps us understand ourselves in relatable terms, as well as offers a proven program to heal and co-create a better world. But there's more. Learn about Beth's four other books, both fiction and nonfiction. Check out her gorgeous music, which is heartfelt and mystical. Become acquainted with Beth and James's programs for healing and training, and discover their community, the Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which welcomes you wherever you are in the world. All this and more can be found at Beth's website, www.bethgreen.org. Again, that's bethgreen.org. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're tuned in to Inside Out with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To reach us on the show, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send us an email, the address is beth at bethgreen.org. Now, back to Inside Out. Hi, welcome back. So we're, we've been talking to Rebecca, um, and we actually have Helen on the phone with us, so the mom is here, and so the whole family is together now. Uh, and and uh, Rebecca was talking about, uh, you know, g- trying to get away from a feeling and using a drug to get away from that feeling, and she, she mentioned that she had gotten into heroin. And I was asking her, and I'd like her to come to this question, did you have any kind of a feeling like a, either a thrill, how exciting, or, oh, my God, what am I doing? I'm destroying my life when you started heroin. Um, previous to heroin, I was doing Oxycontin, which is a synthetic form of heroin. Um, but I was kind of naive and oblivious to what it actually was um, until I had already been taken for a while. Um, my cousin um, had a heroin problem and so I told myself I would never touch heroin but when I couldn't get oxygen anymore it was too expensive I switched over to heroin and I started smoking it and um I, it was scary I told myself that I would never do it um mm-hmm. because my cousin it ruined his life um for a while and I told myself I would never do it and then I told myself I would never start shooting it up um mm-hmm. So it progressed, you know, I started from Oxycontin and then started smoking it and then started shooting it and um, I really had no control over it. Once the, the smoking didn't work anymore, then I had to start shooting it and, you know, at that point I had no control. Mm. How did you feel when that happened? Um. When I, when what happened, when I started not having any control over it? Yes, yes. When you realized that you had no control, that it was taking over your life, that it had a life of its own. I mean, own. it's scary. Yeah, it's scary. Um, when I am so dependent on something, um, you know, my entire life revolves around that something. And so mm. my family doesn't matter. You know, nobody matters except for that thing because I'll do anything for it because it keeps me well. You know, I would would be sick without it. I would be, you know, I, I don't even know who I would be without it. And that is scary. So I would, you know, do literally anything that I had to do to get it. Everything else was pushed to the side. Mm. Boy, I can really understand that. You know, I've been addicted to some men in my life, the way you're describing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I felt like, geez, I can't live without this. I'll do anything to have it. I, I, have you ever had that experience? <laughs> Whoa. Uh, Absolutely. Helen. Yeah. Yeah. Helen, I'd like to bring you in here. Uh, I think, you know, Rebecca was talking about going from, you know, taking it to being taken over by it. And um, 
did you know, did you have some sense of when this was happening for your daughter? Well, you know, it was a gradual thing when she was at home as a teenager. You know, I knew she was smoking pot and maybe drinking, but she was still going to school. She was still passing school. And I had smoked pot when I was a young person, so I thought, you know, I don't like it, but I don't know what to do about it. You know, it didn't seem like it was ruining her life. It didn't ruin my life. I, you know, got a master's degree and went on and had a career, you know, smoking pot every day. And I know Mm -hmm. that what I've learned since is that the marijuana today is way different than it was, you know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago when I was doing it, so... And then after she moved out of the house or after I moved and she, you know, became more independent, I didn't really know what she was doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a couple of times I confronted her about, God, your pupils are like pinpoints and she was very irritable or something, but I didn't know anything about heroin. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of, you know, just got worse and worse. It's the old, same old story you've heard a million times. Mm-hmm. Started showing up more and more. But, you know, she graduated early from high school. She had a full-time job. She always worked. She was a great worker. She, you know, always paid her bills. You know, it's hard to determine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until, that started, until that started going. So what I'm wondering, if you looked in your heart, Helen, if you didn't know, I'm just asking you this question, something before. It's like, you know... Well, of course. Yeah. You know, of course I could tell that things were weird, but, you know, you, you're in denial. I was in denial about mm-hmm. how bad it really was. And because, what, yeah. because these outside things... I could still hold on to the hope that because she was still working and she was still doing, had a relationship and blah, 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 that mm-hmm. denial. Well, that's such a profoundly important point, and it's so important for people in the audience to, uh, to hear that because so many of us are in denial about our own addictions or the addictions of others. And um, I'm wondering if you would like to share... Why you feel you were in denial? What? What? Why would you want to be in denial about something like that? I, I hope you understand. I'm not asking you this in an accusatory way. No, I understand. I think that nobody wants to think that their children are messed up, mm. that they are in trouble, that they're there, that because then it makes me, you know, then I would have to face. Of course, I would take responsibility that there's something I did wrong. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an avoidance of guilt, partially. Mm-hmm. And it's an avoidance of, you know, it's a desire to avoid the pain of facing reality of their pain mm-hmm. and, the subsequent, and the subsequent helplessness. So what you're saying is that both of you are talking about the same thing. Her addiction and your denial had the same source, which is you were trying to avoid some feeling. Sure. And that sounds, that sounds right to me. Um, Rebecca, do you think that you came out of denial or you were less in denial than your mother was about your addiction? Um, I knew... I knew... Um, Well, yeah, I didn't know what was going on for a long time. Um, I think I kind of woke up when um, my cousin uh, overdosed from from heroin. Um, And at that point, I had had admitted to you. I'm sorry? Yeah, so you already were a heroin addict at that time. Oh, yeah, I was mm-hmm. a full-blown heroin addict, and I, you know, was making money and had a job and, you know, did all that stuff, and I was paying for it. Um, you know, I really didn't think it was that big of a deal, um, but it was, um, and after he died, I 
you know, kind of got pushed into um, learning a whole lot about it. Mm. Mm. How, how did, were you shooting heroin then or just smoking? Uh, I was smoking it at that time. Okay. And um, does the, is the impact of heroin the same when you're smoking until you get to the point that it doesn't work anymore? No, nothing is like shooting heroin. Okay, so that's just... An, and um, Well, I'd like to ask you how you felt when you woke up. You know, what was the feeling that you had when you said, oh my God, look what I'm doing when your cousin died? Um, you know, even when my cousin died, I didn't have that feeling. Um, I, I never had the feeling of, oh my God, you know, what have I done? Or, I mean, I, I realized it then, but I didn't have, um, you know, that thing of, oh, I definitely should stop. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that at that time. Mm -hmm. Only recently have I had that experience. Mm. Do you think that using heroin numbed you from uh, facing the reality that you were using heroin? Oh, definitely. Towards the end, um, you know, I had seen what my life had become and what shambles, you know, I was living in my car and had no money and couldn't eat, couldn't drink, you know, in a different city than my parents. And, you know, I, I had lost everything and I wasn't talking to my family, no friends, you know, I had, I didn't even know, you know, I, it was horrible. And until that experience, you know, um, I didn't know what it was like to want to quit for myself. Wow. Um, I have gone through a lot of stuff, and I have justified it all. You know, being in the hospital because of heroin, getting into car accidents because of it, you know, losing things. But um, to be so alone and um, scared and... You know, I couldn't even, I have no veins left, you know, I couldn't even hit myself. It was take, you know, I would sit there bleeding for, you know, an hour trying to do it and knowing that it was just the wrong, like knowing that if I stopped doing it, I could, you know, maybe have a life, but just continuing to do it and do it and do it. Mm. What a nightmare. You know, it's, I'm so appreciative of your sharing this, uh, and I'm sure that for many people out there who are not themselves uh, that badly addicted uh, or don't acknowledge their own addiction, whether it's to alcohol or food or whatever, or work, um, you know, to hear you share like this, it's so moving because... It's easy to sit on the outside and look at people and say, well, what's the matter with him? You know what I mean? What's wrong with her? Doesn't she see she's ruining her life? You know what my mother used to say about uh, girls who were fat? She'd say, I don't understand that she's such a pretty girl, you know. So it's like such a judgment, like, look, look what she's doing to herself. You know what I mean? And I think that for most of us who have been on the outside of heroin addiction, we have had judgments about well heroin addicts are all from you know the ghetto and uh which obviously isn't true and it's just as painful if you're in the ghetto as if you're not in the ghetto but to hear you share so openly rebecca is i I think such a wake-up call for people who sit there in judgment about others to really understand you know what it's like and and how powerless you feel over, you know, this, uh, what, you're, what you're going through, rather than just being angry at you for going through it. And Helen, how did it feel to you to have to see somebody that you loved so deeply go through so much pain? Well, I can hardly talk about it. It's- It was, you know, like you were saying about what, what she was going through. I finally, myself, understood 
that she couldn't help it, Mm. that it was a nightmare for her. That was a tremendous turning point for me at the very end when I saw what her life was really like. Mm. And it, it didn't just bring me out of denial, but it helped me have so much more compassion for what she was, you know, the torture she was going through every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know who she is. Mm-hmm. I know that this was not Rebecca. Mm-hmm. But that she was just dominated by that monster on her back. I think that uh, for so many of us, we don't want to believe that something like heroin could infiltrate our the sanctum of our family. You know, that's somebody else. Uh, Absolutely. Maybe my, you know, maybe my kid is addicted to pot, or maybe, you know, my husband's an alcoholic. But heroin is beyond the pale. But it isn't. And in fact, there's a lot of people uh, who are addicted to heroin and other, other kinds of addictions. I mean, I know that y- you've worked with people, meth addicts, cocaine addicts. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, it's, these drugs have such a grip uh, on people young and old. Now, what I'd like to talk about when we come back from the break is, you know, what can we do? Um, you know, Helen, maybe when we come back, we can start talking about the things that you tried and that didn't work <laughs> to, help, to help your daughter. And um, certainly before we end the show, and that's, you know, we have another segment to go, I would love to hear from Rebecca about what she thinks helps the most uh, to help our children, ourselves, and our loved ones to break the back of the addiction. And, uh, you know, I, I just keep getting struck by not only how difficult it is to get off certain drugs. I mean, even just alcohol, people go through DTs, you know. Uh, it's, there's that physiological issue. And then, of course, there's the psychological issue uh, because the, whatever that pain is that we're running away from is 10 times worse now than it was when we first started the addiction, right? <laughs> Because now we have a shambles of our life. You know, whatever was bad, we thought was so bad about us before that we were trying to avoid feeling. Well, you know, by the time you get down to the living in your car, uh, you know, it's so much worse. And so you have not only the physiological addiction has grown and grown and grown and grown, but also the nightmare of having to look at yourself and having to deal with the pain because the pain has grown and grown and grown. It just, it just seems sometimes like it's, it's just overwhelming. And uh, we are, none of us really experts on what to do. You know, we all try. There's all kinds of programs. There's good people everywhere who are trying to help. There's good people who are trying to stop. And um, it's, it's very tough. And so we'd love to hear from both of you when we come back what it is that uh, you tried that didn't work, and what do you think uh, did work, and what you would like to, to leave people with? So, uh, but before we do that, let's go to a commercial break, and uh, don't go away. Come back, and um, we'll be coming back in a few. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Bring Beth into your world in person or via the Internet. Learn how by visiting her website, BethGreen.org. At the website, sign up for her newsletter to keep abreast of her latest activities, blogs, videos, and more. Just for signing up, you'll receive a free PDF copy of Living with Reality, her 688-page volume that helps us understand ourselves in relatable terms, as well as offers a proven program to heal and co-create a better world. But there's more. Learn about Beth's four other books, both fiction and nonfiction. Check out her gorgeous music, which is heartfelt and mystical. Become acquainted with Beth and James's programs for healing and training, and discover their community, the Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which welcomes you wherever you are in the world. 
All this and more can be found at Beth's website, www.bethgreen.org. Again, that's bethgreen.org. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. tuned in to Inside Out with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To reach us on the show, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send us an email, the address is beth at bethgreen.org. Now, back to Inside Out. Welcome back. And welcome back to uh, my guests, Rebecca and Helen. Rebecca, uh, is a or has had become a heroin act, addict who is now in recovery, real recovery. And Helen is her mom. So in case you just joined us, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the agony of addiction. And I have been feeling the I could, could barely talk before the the commercial break. I can feel the agony <laughs> from both sides: the agony of the family, the agony of the addict. And you both are doing such a great job of sharing that. But in our last. Uh, segment I'd like us to be focusing on uh, what we do that doesn't work, what we can do that does work. And so we have something that we can offer to our listeners, many of whom are identifying completely with what's going on here. But the first question that pops into my head, though, is for you, Rebecca. Did it ever occur to you, and I know this is probably going to sound like a stupid question, but it did it ever occur to you to go to your mom uh, during those years as you were going down, you know, before the heroin completely took you over and say, I feel helpless, I can't stop this, I don't know what to do. Um, yeah, and I did. Um, but I wasn't ready, so I continued to use after and... Um, you know, I've been in three different treatment centers, sober livings, you know, outpatient treatments, just all kinds of stuff that I had asked for. You know, some my family wanted me to go to, some I had asked for. But, you know, as I, you know, got better, um, I thought I got better as I got a job, you know, back or um, the outside looked good. I mm. went back to using again because I had never experienced my bottom um and um i feel like everybody has to um Mm -hmm. hit their bottom that is so interesting and i'm sure you're absolutely right but i'm wondering if you uh, when you went to all of that Uh, going to different programs and going through the hell of getting off heroin and all the, knowing what you knew, what do you think was going on inside you that made you go back to heroin uh, over and over? Um, There were feelings that I didn't want to feel. I still didn't want to grow up. Mm. Um, I, you know, had caused pain in people's lives I didn't want to look at. Um, mm-hmm. And truly, I thought that I could control it this time. Really? I mean, every time. Oh, yeah. Every time, you know, my brain tricks me into thinking that I can control it. Mm. The time is going to be different one more time. You know, I'd get mm-hmm. out of treatment one more time. I'm going to try this. And then it would always go back. But my mind would tell me that I can do it again, you know, just one more time. I, I don't mean to be insulting. I'm just astonished that, uh, you know, you know what heroin addiction is like. Um, how, uh, you know what I mean? I'm just asking the question that everybody would ask you. Know, how can you convince yourself that you can take heroin without getting hooked on it again when you've been an addict? Well, I mean, it's the same kind of question. I mean, it's like, how could I convince myself that doing heroin was a good idea at all? 
bad to start with. You know, <laughs> right. How can I convince myself that, you know, blacking out and doing all this stuff is a good idea anyways. But my mind, you know, messes with me and says, yeah. you know, one more time, you know, it's the, it's all the same kind of thing. It's like heroin isn't a good idea for anyone, you know, but yeah. my mind said, it's going to take away your pain and you can do yeah. it one more time and, you know, all that stuff. And so what your your mind would actually tell you, you can do it, but you will not get hooked this time, even though there is no evidence that anybody can take heroin without getting addicted. Yes. That's fascinating. Just fascinating. And um, Helen, when Rebecca would come to you and say, oh, my God, you know, I'm an addict, I'm a heroin addict, and she's, she would come to you, uh, how did you feel? Well, I don't remember her coming to me except, well, I think you were smoking heroin the first time you came to me and said, Mom, I need help. I'm, I, I don't know what I'm doing when you were still with Stephen. And you went to outpatient therapy um, or outpatient treatment. Yeah, I can't really remember. I think it was right after Dad died that I asked for some sort yeah. of help. Yeah, I think it was like three months after that. That was the first time yeah. she came to me and said, I need help. And, of course, we immediately said, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, research places, and we had great insurance that sent her to a, you know, a good program that she really liked. The other times when she went to inpatient, didn't we always intervene with you and say you have to go yeah so that was the only time that you had actually reached out and even then it didn't keep you uh sober even even with your right. i mean and this is important uh, these are important pieces of information for people out there to know that just because somebody sincerely comes to you and says, I need help, it doesn't mean they're not sincere when they ask for it. It's just that they're not able to follow through for reasons that seem almost, uh, you know, that, that are beyond our, our understanding. Uh, the, you know, what Rebecca's talking about is that the mind tricks you or the mm-hmm. need is so great that you, uh, you ignore what you know. It's like I do. It's like going back. It's it's like going back to a guy that you who's been abusive to you, and you do it over and over and over. And you say, "Well, this time it's going to be different." And I'm I'm saying these things because I I'd, I'd like to make sure that everybody sees that it is relatable, as horrible as heroin addiction is, and how e- and I could say, "Well, I've never done that. Sat in a car and you know couldn't find a vein." Uh, but I can truly identify with doing the same kind of things in my life around other things. Uh, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, as they say, uh, expecting a different result. So, um, yeah. I add a, something else to it, that, if yeah, I may. Please. And that is the, the aspect of getting high. Uh, she talked about wanting to escape pain. Well, uh, I, I, I had a past uh, back in the 60s with hallucinogenic drugs, and I wanted to get high because it felt so good. It was a... Uh, an escape from everyday reality, and it felt like a higher dimension of, of being, a higher way of being. And I know my own daughter has been addicted to a cough medicine, coracetin, but by taking eight of those doses or more, uh, she gets a high. And um, that has been the big incentive for many people, I think. I used to be a drug treatment counselor some years ago, uh, and that desire to escape the misery. I mean, for myself, I had low-grade depression. I had self-loathing. And so I wanted to get away from feeling uncomfortable and to, get, to feel happy. And mm-hmm. so I'd take a happy drug. Mm-hmm. And so there was that. And that, that's one of the reasons I think it keeps being enticing for people is to be happy for a while, even though they know there's going to be a downside there's always that self-delusion that, oh, I'll be okay, you know, I'm going to make it through this, because right now I feel I can control myself, <laughs> which is an illusion, but that's which, a, that's once, you get, a, once the drug takes over. Yeah, oh yeah that, that's a good question. Is Rebecca, what does the heroin high feel like? Um, it is, um, I don't I feel kind of uncomfortable explaining this just for the fact that 
um, I don't want anyone to want to do it. I, um, I understand. I understand. But I think this is for us to and it's not for that, but this is for also for us to have understanding for the addict. It's like, what is it that they're going for? Yeah. Um, you know, initially, it was great, you know. Um, I, right when you do it, you, immediately, you feel just warmth all over your body, and you know, nothing matters, um, you feel happy, not happy, but just kind of like a serene kind of feeling, just like everything's Mm -hmm. fine, you know, and, and nothing really, because I'm very sensitive when I'm not on heroin, Mm -hmm. but when I'm on it, you know, nothing really matters, you know, I can do Mm -hmm. anything, I, um, and it's the warm feeling, you know, that I feel that that, thing in my stomach you know just kind of goes away and yes yeah well I'm so glad that you shared that Rebecca because um, I had the same experience with alcohol the same thing I would take a sip of alcohol which is more than I should ever have had (laughs) (laughs) and I would feel a warm feeling coming through my body it's just as you're describing and uh, but for me it didn't last very long because I was getting sick a few minutes later, but I did have that, and then I wanted more of it, so I had the second drink. I mean, as I used to laugh at myself, if I'd only had stopped at the first sip. I, I, I didn't even need two drinks to get drunk. I was already gone by the second sip because I'm also very sensitive. And when you were describing it, I thought, my God, what you're describing is detachment. And I'm very happy, really grateful that you described that because... That feeling of calm and peace and detachment, that's really what we're looking for through our spiritual practices and through all the psychological and emotional work that we do. And it's like you're trying to, uh, and I say, I don't mean this in any judgmental way, you're trying to achieve through a drug what could take a lifetime to achieve through inner practices and, um, you know, therapy and all of that stuff. And it's, it's hard to do, but you get there. You know, you get there eventually by doing enough of the inner work to be able to achieve a certain level of calm, well-being, and detachment. And I think that's really important to oh, say I'd that. Like to, yeah, yeah, if I may. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily take a lifetime. Uh, I, I found that when I had a good meditation, I would instantly go into a, a, a more whole, uh, peaceful state that was better than anything I experienced on drugs. Well, that's that's good, and there's truth to that. But what I'm also saying, James, is that uh, you know, f- to have a permanent state of calm and detachment takes a lot of work, and oh, yeah. it takes a lot of inner work. So, uh, very quickly, because I can't believe that uh, you know we're coming towards the end of our time. Uh, Helen, what did you? What was the stupidest thing that you did uh, trying to help Rebecca? Oh, let me count the ways. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think this. Stupid- I know what it is. Okay, but- <laughs> you go right ahead. Go, go for it. <laughs> Thank you. I give me money. Give me cash. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, enabling with the cash. Boy, does that ever hit home for us, James? Doesn't it? Oh yeah, we gave cash to my daughter. Yeah, we know, we know where it went. Thank you, Rebecca. That, this is so helpful to people. This is so helpful. And uh, Rebecca, what do you think finally did it for you? You mentioned, you know, feeling completely desperate. Uh, you know, you couldn't even find a vein anymore. Is there anything else that you could share that finally did it for you? That happened to you? That came from anybody? That it was? Was it anything that anyone else did, or is it simply your own experience that got you? to turn around um you know all through my life my mom has been the only one you know consistently there mm-hmm. and um when it, when things got really bad recently she said you know I'm not gonna be there for you anymore mm-hmm. and I rely on my mom for so much you know I love her and when she said that she's not gonna be there anymore 
and I'm living in my car and all these other things, you know, I just, I didn't know what to do. You know, if I'm not living, you know, at that point I was hopeless. I didn't want to live for me, you know, but Mm -hmm. I tried to continue to want to live like for her. And when she wasn't going to be there anymore, it scared the shit out of me. I mean, sorry, it scared me (laughs) because, you know, then who was I going to live for, you know, like, I didn't want to live for me, you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but yes, it's kind of what I felt. And but, but something all I can you, say is that, yeah, Go ahead. all I can say is that education, like the treatment centers that they sent me to education, learning about it is so important. Having my family know actually what I'm going through is important. All the, everything is, um, all the programs that I've gone to, having the knowledge, knowing like what I'm going through, even though I'm not putting them into practice while I'm using, yeah, knowing that there is a way out um, mm. is really important. I love what you said, and we're going to have to wrap up. Uh, so what I hear you telling people, don't give cash and also don't give up. Sometimes you have to say, no, I can't support you anymore in any way, and, and it looks like you're being cold, but actually that doesn't necessarily mean that you are because inside the person, everything they've gone through, they're learning, all the treatment programs actually did help, and we should stop thinking that we've, oh, this was a waste, this was a waste, this was a waste, and it feels like Rebecca found the self-love to say, I want to live for myself, and I love that. James, can you do a five-second version of what we're doing next week? Yes, let's go on (laughs) toward a healthy way of being happy. Next week's theme is turning up our happiness quotient. Let's do it now. So it'll be uh, Beth and myself and her two alter egos, the guru and Madame Zerka, and we're looking forward to the wit and wisdom that can come through on how to be happier and how to share that happiness with others in our lives and now a final word from Beth thank you James and thank you so much Rebecca Helen God bless you and may the force be with you to continue to keep growing and to keep uh, increasing the love you have for yourselves yes thank you thank you for making us a part of your week Listen for the next edition of Inside Out with Beth Green and James Maynard next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Hi, I'm Joe Swedish, CEO of WellPoint. 